Being a Better Man, Episode 89. Wow, that's almost 90. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.beingabettermanpodcast.com forward slash book. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. I was the oldest of three children. As the oldest, I got some of the perks that came along with that, like I was the cherished first child. I got the most baby pictures taken of me. I was the first to get to do new things, like ride my bike to the store by myself. There is a certain measure of privilege that comes with being the oldest child. But the downsides of privilege are that you start to expect certain things. You develop a mentality of entitlement. And that's kind of what happened to me. When I was nine years old, I was going through kind of a rough time. I didn't feel like I was being cherished in the way I had become accustomed to. In reality, my parents were just busy doing life and keeping our household operating and tending to the farm and my two younger siblings. They were just living, doing the best they could. My perception was much different, though. It seemed like people didn't have time to listen to my stories or entertain all the random thoughts that constantly poured out of my mouth. When my dad came home from work, it seemed like he didn't have time for me. He didn't seem interested in all the discoveries I had made during the day. It seemed like no one would listen or pay enough attention to me, and I was feeling kind of sorry for myself. This went on for a couple weeks, and I became increasingly agitated. I started applying meanings to other people's actions that were based on a false reality, the false reality I had created for myself. And once I started down that road, it was a slippery slope. My imagination got carried away and I began to actually feel like a victim. And then I started to wallow in my victimhood. I convinced myself over the course of two weeks that nobody loved me. Nobody cared at all about me. In fact, if I just disappeared, they probably wouldn't even notice. After all, no one seemed to notice the foul mood I was in or the fact that I wasn't talking to anybody. They were all just going on with their lives as though everything was normal, which validated my beliefs. I decided I should just run away. I had read a book about a boy who ran off and lived in the woods for a year, and I figured I could do that. So I set a date and started making preparations, gathering supplies and whatnot. But the closer I got to actually running away, the more I thought that maybe it wasn't the best idea. After all, even if my family didn't miss me, I knew my dog would, and I would miss her too, and I just couldn't do that to her. I thought about taking my dog with me, but I wasn't sure I would be able to feed her. So I came up with a new plan. 
It was the next best thing to running away. I wrote a very detailed, very emotional letter to my whole family. In the letter, I explained that I was running away, and they would never see me again. I also explained why I was leaving, and I pointed out specific offenses I had endured and the lack of love and caring I had suffered. I told them all that I loved them in spite of their lack of concern for me, and if I remember right, I think I signed the letter, Your Former Son. It was in early winter, and a few hundred feet from our house was the pump house. It was a structure built around the well, and the pump was in there that supplied us with water. We also used the pump house to store the winter apples. There were several gunny sacks full of apples, and they would keep in there most of the winter. But more importantly, they would provide me with sustenance while I executed my plan. So one day, on a Saturday, I taped the letter I had spent hours writing and rewriting to the window on the back door, the door everybody used to come and go in and out of the house. I figured that was a perfect spot. It would be spotted very quickly. My plan was to disappear into the pump house, where I could crack the door open a bit and have full view of the house. I would wait for my letter to be discovered and then I would watch as my family frantically looked for me. I would sit there eating apples while they all grieved, racked with guilt. I would listen to their wails of sorrow and regret, and then, when I was satisfied that they had suffered enough, when they have proved to me that they actually did love me, I would return. In my mind, I saw them all crying with relief that I was back, all of them embracing me and telling me how sorry they were, Yep, in my nine-year-old brain, this was a perfect plan. I had taped the letter onto the window around nine o'clock in the morning, and I was firmly ensconced in the pump house, waiting for the show to begin. About an hour had gone by, and nothing had happened yet. Nobody had spotted my letter. I was watching the house, and occasionally I could see the door open and close. Then I would wait for a scream, but none came. Two hours went by, and then three. I had already eaten about ten apples, and I was stuffed. I was starting to get bored and a little irritated. But time just kept going by. No one called my name. Nothing. At the five-hour mark, I was starting to realize that my brilliant plan was backfiring. In spite of what I had made myself believe over the past two weeks, I didn't really believe it. Down deep, I always knew that my family loved me, but now, now I was actually thinking that maybe it was true after all. I had been gone all day, and no one noticed. Nobody wondered. It was like I hadn't existed at all. The time kept going by. Now when I saw the door open on the house, I was praying that someone would notice. I was going through an emotional roller coaster there inside the pump house. It was very serious now. I didn't just want someone to notice I was gone. I needed someone to notice. Finally, after eight hours of silence, I couldn't take it anymore. It was five o'clock in the evening and it was starting to get dark and cold. My sorrow and self-pity had turned into anger. I left the pump house and marched toward home. I stomped up the steps and barged into the house. I looked at the window on the door, and my letter was still there where I left it. 
Was everybody really that blind, I thought? I grabbed the letter off the door and went into the kitchen where my parents were sitting, and I really let them have it. I was crying with hurt and trembling with fury as I stood there and unloaded everything I had been feeling and thinking over the past two weeks. Seeing that I was obviously upset and in kind of bad shape, my parents wisely just sat there and listened, glancing at one another with concerned looks. Then I held up the letter and I shook it, explaining that it had been on the door all day and no one even noticed. My parents took the letter and read it together. I was spent and exhausted after my tirade. I stood there breathing hard, just looking at the floor. There was a period of silence, and then my mom reached out and pulled me into her. She just hugged me for a few moments, and then she held me at arm's length and looked into my eyes and told me how much her and Dad loved me, how important I was to them. She said they were sorry I had felt this way, but that I should know better. And she said if I ever felt like that again, to just ask them. And just like that, it was over. Two weeks of emotional torment were gone in the blink of an eye. Apparently that was all I needed. I just needed to hear it. I hugged them both and told them I was sorry. And I was. I felt kind of silly afterwards. Once I was filled back up with the love and security I had been used to all my life, it was hard to imagine how I had even gone down that road. But I never went down that road again. Once was enough. And it was because of the things it taught me that I never repeated it. One of the things it taught me was to always question my own perception. Question it, test it, weigh it against the facts, and look at it from other angles because your perception will become your reality. And I never wanted to be the victim of a false reality like that again. I also learned something about how fragile relationships can be, how thin and tender the threads of our emotions can be, and how just a word or the lack of a word can affect them. That's an important thing for men to remember. Even though I learned this lesson, it was still something I have struggled with from time to time. Because sometimes we just take it for granted that other people know how we feel. To always be saying it can feel redundant or excessive or unnecessary. But the fact is, the other people in your life need to know how you feel. They need to hear you say it. Even if they already know it, they still need to hear it. Just like I needed to hear my mom tell me that day. It's another way we can take care of the most important things we have our relationships. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Now head out into the world and remember to tell the people who are important to you how you feel about them. It's an important part of being a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out. This episode of Being a Better Man was brought to you by Audible.com. To download your free audiobook and get started on your free 30-day trial, just go to www.beingabettermanpodcast.com forward slash book. That'll take you to a special sign-up page and you can get started today. 
Thanks to Audible.com, and thanks to you for listening and supporting the Being a Better Man podcast.